Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. My day job is as a coach, helping people live better lives. I coach executives and leaders. I coach entrepreneurs and I coach civilians who are looking to improve their lives, their health, their relationships. Basically, it allows me to do what I didn't think was possible, which is to help people completely erase bad habits and different ways of being, erase negative feelings and replace them with positive ones rather than just help people develop new strategies to compete with the old ones or new thought patterns to debate the old thought patterns. And I'm looking for people to work with. And I have reduced my rates a lot so that I can just get as much practice in as I can. So I am going to raise them back up to my normal fees. But right now I just need a lot, a lot of practice and feedback and I have teachers and mentors. So if you're interested in getting my best coaching better than I've ever done at a big discount, email me hj at plantyourself.com. So let's get on with the show. All right. I have to be careful about what I promise because you guys listen and remember and hold me to it. So when I published the first interview with Veronica Monet about two months ago, I said it was going to be the first of three because there was so much we had to cover. And, you know, life happened and uh, we moved to Spain and people kept reminding me, hey, where is the rest of those conversations? So Veronica kindly agreed to get back on the Zoom or the, the Riverside actually with me to talk about the second topic that we were going to cover, which is internal family systems, the modality that she uses as part of her coaching as um, the chief evangelist of the shame free zone, helping people recover from shame, loosen the secrets that have been supporting shame and moving from the darkness into the light. So this conversation, we start with a recapitulation of some of the most interesting bits of Veronica's story. And then she explains what internal family systems is, um, where it comes from, what the terminology is, and how we can begin to use it to heal ourselves. So I'm really looking forward to your reactions to this one. So let's do it without further ado. Veronica Monet, welcome back to the Plant Yourself podcast. Howie, I'm really glad to be here. And I'm still a little bit mind blown that you're talking to us from Spain. <laughs> si, si, claro. That's, that's all I got. Okay, fine. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I only do the Spanish sure. version here in America. Muy poquito español. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. The, the, the tricky thing is, you know, when I did learn Spanish, it was like Latin American Spanish. <clears throat> but here they, yeah. they do the, the lisp for like the C before an I or an E. So it's, I live in Barcelona. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, you're going to be stimulating that brain of yours and that will be good for mm-hmm. you. That's we're always supposed to be learning new things. So good luck. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I'm finding myself like becoming very dramatic in my um, like facial expressions and sign language, almost like I'm, I have to be a mime or a clown because I don't have words as long as you're not shouting <laughs> no i i know that shouting doesn't help you know, they shouted me 
Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I don't understand. Right. Know, but they don't get they don't get any slower. Like that that would help. Wouldn't right. it? Yeah. <laughs> but you're well, it's time they'll realize you're not an annoying mm -hmm. American tourist and I'm sure things will work out great. <laughs> yeah. There there's a there's a we live in sort of a, a tourist town and so there's like a gift shop. And there, the, oh. the gift shop does does sell mugs that say "I'm a fucking tourist," like on the mug. So, did you get one? So I, I did not. I've, I've resisted, <laughs> um, you know, cla claiming that fully. I, I feel like, you know, one 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 thing I'm struggling with in Spanish is there's two forms of the verb for the present tense that re relate to either permanence or temporary, like you know. I'm, you know, I'm here would be like estoy, like, but, but, uh, you know, soy is like a more permanent, like I am this. Ah. Uh. So it's a very, it's a very interesting construct that my brain's never had to really like, you know, I'm late, I'm bald, you know, I'm a spiritual yeah. being, like they're all the same am. But, wow. but you have to decide, and you have to decide here. Like, how permanent now, is this thing? The Spanish that I know genders everything. So there's a yep. feminine and masculine version of everything. Is that how it is there, too? Yeah. Um, yes, although it's less. The other language that I learned is Hebrew, which genders more. Interesting. Um, so, so Hebrew, Hebrew genders uh, verbs, which I don't think Spanish does. Oh my lord! Okay. All right. So Spanish well, genders nouns and adjectives. Yes. So this exactly. is like slightly, slightly less. You know, like we talk about you know pronouns and is issues here in, 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 in English. I didn't know you um, Speak is probably a strong word, but I, I learned okay. it. Okay, you learned it. Yeah. A, yeah. I know very little about that language, but um, I named. Uh, my dog that she she died a long long time ago. But a long time ago, I had a dog, and I named her Shekina, which is the ah. feminine version of God mm -hmm. in Hebrew. Yep, the the presence. Yep. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. Okay. Which, dogs dogs are that right? They are. They sure are. Pure divinity, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. No. Oh. All right. So yeah. with with that segue. Yeah, into, into, into lofty, <laughs> lofty realms. Um, so I had a bunch of people who were like clamoring for you to come back because we remember we ended the last interview with me saying, "I hope you'll come back and talk about what we were going to talk about because your life was too right? damn interesting to to stop." <laughs> well, and I, I really had you know it's, so, I've been asked about aspects of my life for um, years by a lot of journalists and television personalities. And I, I really enjoyed our interview, Howie, because you took it so personal um, and deep. Oh. Mm. And, and we had a chance to really develop the topic instead of just titillating viewing audiences, which I'm so used to that nauseating platform. Mm. Yeah. And I, yeah, I appreciate yeah, no, I'm, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it can be hard not to be a titillator. 
Well, especially um, if you know it's going to get you clicks and likes and all that. Yeah, I know. Right. But, um, I mean, it actually came up in, a, in an interview I did last week, a very different situation and topic. It's with, with a woman who's a, a homeless act, homelessness activist who is right. herself unhoused. And oh, I was wow. asking, you know, she lives in her car with her seven-year-old yeah. son. And I was asking questions about that. And I found myself like, like sort of checking myself, like this isn't about like, like I wanted to like really understand yeah. and, and kind of paint a, a picture of, you know, the humanity that we don't often yes. see necessarily when we look at someone who lives that life. But I also found myself like not wanting to veer into like a form of like poverty titillation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. You know? So, yeah. so I appreciate you, you saying that as I think we want, we want yeah. the goal. The goal here is to, is to tell, you know, full empowering stories that help everyone live a better life. Well, I think you do a good job of that. Thank you. Well, thanks. thanks. Yeah. So, um, IFS, you introduced me to internal family systems. You told me to go, you know, check out, check out the, this book, which led me to like this entire world of experiential therapy, which I'm adapting into coaching. So my whole life is different because of that uh, offhand comment <laughs> that you made about something that I had, you know, dismissed more or less. Um, yeah. But you, you, this is the this is the work that you do is largely based on on IFS, right? Yeah, it is. And it's, it's work that I'm doing in my own personal life. Um, it's the backbone of the memoir that I'm currently writing. And it's certainly the kind of um, coaching. I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach that I bring to my clients. Mm -hmm. So I, and I, I work with a lot of, I guess you'd call them sensitive issues. So I have clients who are still... Um, perpetrating some domestic violence, not real serious. If it's real serious, that really needs to go to law enforcement and I can't be of assistance there. But people do things that they mm. don't consider domestic violence. The, the uh, culture at large doesn't consider it domestic violence, but I know it is because um, I'm well-versed on the topic. So um, things like verbal abuse, blocking your partner when they want to leave the room, chasing them throughout the house to tell, you're going to listen to me, you're going to listen to me, slamming doors, uh, breaking things. Those are all um, ways of creating emotional terror. And a lot of people do stuff like that, push, you know, threaten. I'm taking the kids. Mm. Um, so I, I work with that kind of domestic violence. Uh, the stuff most people are into denial about, and it gets, unfortunately, normalized in a lot of um, film and um, television. I also work with mm. sexual assault survivors. So I have uh, a lot of clients who come to me because they're having sexual difficulty. I give them exercises to really connect energetically with their sexual uh, selves. And oftentimes what will surface is an awareness that they have been assaulted or molested as a child. Um, so yeah, IFS is just, um, really a powerful tool for healing trauma. And I first read about it in, uh, Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score. Um, fabulous book. It's a dance and uh, maybe it's a little more geared towards those of us who consider ourselves clinicians, but I have to say it was a New York Times bestselling book for about five years. 
So obviously yeah, yeah, the, I think. <laughs> the public really liked it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's go back pretty cover. So CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, pretty common. Uh, dialectical therapy, pretty common. None of those actually have a proven track record with trauma like EMDR and IFS do. And, mm. you know, I am the, the shame-free zone. That's what it says on my office door, Veronica's shame-free zone. It's a place where people get to go deep. Um, yeah, sometimes it's a little bit like a confessional. They come in and tell me stuff they're going to go to their graves with as a secret, except for telling me about it. But mostly it's about me helping them get connected to their feelings and um, unpacking that in a way that brings clarity. So the interesting thing about IFS for me is it's, it's a tool that helps me amplify a gift that I was born with. And the gift that I have is that when I'm speaking to another person, um, I can fill all those different parts and oftentimes it would be confusing because people say, they tell me one thing speaking from one part, then they tell me another thing speaking from yet another part. Then, then a manager part would come in and tell me what, what they think and want. And I go, well, that's just part of you that feels that way. I've heard you say this. I've heard you say that. All of that stuff's true too. And I don't want to lose those parts of you. And at that point, I was basically operating off of a pretty standard script of great parenting your inner child, which has been around for decades. But when I discovered IFS, mm -hmm. it was like, this helps me understand why these parts sometimes polarize and what their different roles are. So you got the firefighters and the managers and, and um, protectors of various different types. Uh, and then behind those are the exiles. And we'll get into the weeds there and explain what all that is in a minute. But I just kind of wanted to give you an overview. I was so excited when I found IFS because then it gave me a language for what I had been experiencing all along, which was that people are kind of like a collection of parts and they don't agree with each other all the time. In fact, rarely. Mm. Um, so it's also an obstacle to people meeting their goals because a part of them will set a goal and another part will say, I don't think so. <laughs> so then yeah. they wind up kind of stymied. And when you yeah. get clear just, on all the, you know, just to, yeah, go ahead, Howie. I know yeah. I, I, I go Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack, but I just want to kind of bring it back to what you were first saying about what, the forms of domestic violence that we don't think of as domestic yeah. violence. Um, yeah. I've got to say that th I've done some of those things. <laughs> Me too. Right. I've and, done worse, and I, but... but I've, but I've done, you know, I would, I would never have considered violence. I was, con I, you know, the, the way I was when I was doing any of those things, like following someone yeah. around the house and like, I need to be heard yeah. was doing it not to, because I was trying to protect something or get like, I was desperate. Like I wasn't doing it out of, you know, any sort of conscious plan to like intimidate or like I was terrified. Right. Yeah. And trying to do those things to, to, to get something. And so like one of yeah. the things that I've, uh, before we even get into like the IFS like system and the, and the lingo, but there's this yeah. basic core idea 
that that everything we do makes sense. And I think that that must yeah. be a very healing message yeah. when people come to you and they're like, I'm a mess. I'm fucking crazy. I, and you can say, oh, well, in my world, this makes sense and it's going to make sense to you, too. It's true. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking is that before we get too far down this road, for those people who are clamoring for part two of this interview, it might be helpful. We never really quite got to the, um, I don't think we got quite into how I became a coach, but maybe, maybe we did. Maybe I missed something there. So what were your thoughts on that? Should no. I kind of backtrack a little bit and explain that? You know what? If we did get it, people didn't, didn't necessarily listen to that. So I think that would be a great um, bridge or segue yeah. or, or useful thing. So I, I would, I would, I would trust your gut. Okay. Well, so I will back up just a little bit and then um, hang on because we're definitely going to take a deep dive into IFS. Um, so in 2004, it, one of the things I wanted your um, viewers and listeners to know is that um, since I got sober in 1985, I've lived a life that was oriented around um, – a connection to my version of a higher power. So that has been a central guiding force for me. And it was, and I know this is very controversial for a lot of people, but it's my truth and it's my path and it's my experience for me personally, not trying to generalize this to anybody else, but for me, um, when I entered into this um, sex industry as an escort uh, in 1989, that was large in large part about me praying to my higher power for guidance. And uh, when I exited in 2004, it was again very much about guidance from my higher power. And I um, knew that I was going to get a book deal. Now, how did I know? Um, sometimes I just know things, Howie. Um, and I told my husband, I'm going to get a book deal and I'm, I'm going to quit escorting and sell the house and go write a book. And he's like, that's ridiculous. You don't know that you're going to get a book deal. And I go, actually, I do. It's going to be published before I turn 45. Well, all that did happen. Um, <laughs> and the book deal didn't exist at the time, but um, one came into my inbox and I got an advance and my book was published by Penguin in 2005. And I... I transitioned into being a coach at that particular time because that was just the next thing that was supposed to happen. And I just love living this spiritually directed life. It's, I, I just really wanted to share that with your viewers because then I am not stuck in a place of self-will and attachment. I'm always interested in what, what is the next right thing for me to do? And um, I had a hard time starting my coaching practice because I knew I wasn't going to quote unquote repent for having been in the sex industry. I wasn't going to recant. I wasn't going to dish out the narrative people wanted of uh, somehow or another that was a big mistake or now I've seen the light and that's why I quit. Um, none of that was true for me. None of that is true for me. And I've actually been coaching now for 19 years and I was an escort for about 17. 
So I've been coaching mm. longer than I was escorting. Yeah. But I've, so I've been I, doing I bet there's... Yeah, I bet there's some people who are, you know, jaw hit the floor when they hear like, oh, there, there is a higher power that would be that would say that that's okay. I like tell me more. Huh. Well, like, where, I, where can I get I one of those? I was dumbfounded too. By the way, I kept saying this has got to be the wrong thing. This has got to be the wrong thing. You know, set me straight here. Um, and I just, it just, I just kept getting a green light. And then as I went into it, and I think this is an important piece, I realized that I was healing myself and other people. So again, this is not, oh, this is what happens when you're an escort. This is what happened when I was an escort. And it has what happens for some people when they're an escort. And so it's kind of like if you heard the story about a doctor who just got in it for the money, and then there was a doctor who just did it because his parents wanted him to. And then there was a doctor who did it because he was really a humanitarian and he wanted to save lives. And then there was a doctor who did it just because he was really fascinated with the technology. You wouldn't really know much about doctors unless you were finding out about that particular doctor and what his motivations and character are. It's exactly the same in the sex industry. These are just people. And they have different motivations, different circumstances. In my particular case, this was about my healing and bringing healing to other people. And I really approached sexuality as a sacred calling and a sacred gift. And I still do. I am now monogamous and I've been in a relationship for 13 years. Um, and I really love that too. And I, I'm glad that I got to experiment with uh, swinging with my ex-husband. I'm life has all these different, you know, iterations that we can have. If we don't get too attached to what we're supposed to do, but we keep looking for the thing that enlarges and enhances our soul's journey and how that can help and heal ourselves and other people. So my perspective was very much about bringing love to people, bringing healing to people, and particularly helping to unburden shame. I just, mm. I think it's really sad that we're living in such a shame-based culture. And particularly when it comes around people's sexuality, there's a tremendous amount of secrecy and shame. That secrecy and shame is where the perpetrations fester and grow. And, you know, we see this in um, a lot of cults. We see this in a lot of religious organizations that really demonize sexuality and then have a huge problem with sexual perpetration towards children. Um, I just want to live in a world where adults have consensual, conscious, sexual avenues, whatever that looks like, with whomever that looks like, as long as our guiding principle is that we don't harm ourselves or each other. And a, a lot of stress on adults. Because I, as an incest survivor, I know sex can really damage and hurt. Um, so, I don't know, Hallie. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me, but you might still have some questions. What might that be? Well, I, mean, I guess the, the main question is, I'm wondering, like, as a coach, did you feel like you were giving up some tools? Because I know, like, there's a lot of, like, somatic therapists 
who then want to want to like work like on a psychological level and they can't touch anymore. And like, how do I access their vagus nerve? How do I calm the sympathetic yeah. nervous system? How do I give them an experience of shame-free touch? And now you're a coach yeah. and I assume you're, you're doing a lot of it, I don't know, online or, but like, it's, you know, like at first I'm thinking about, oh, sex worker, like that's like a la 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 and coaching is like, whoo, but the way you're describing, you know, yes. there, there seem to be, if they're both healing modalities and I'm wondering, did it feel like you'd lost some tools from your tool belt? Yes, which is why I'm really glad that I refer out to sexological body workers. Uh-huh. Gotcha. So I don't touch my clients except to give them a, a very platonic hug before and after their sessions. Um, I touch their hearts emotionally and energetically, but I don't touch them physically. However, I do have sexological body workers. They don't work for me. They've, they've got their own companies, but I, I refer out. Um, just as I also sometimes refer my clients to licensed therapists who do EMDR and also um, some licensed therapists in states where it's legal who do shamanic um, journeys with MDMA and psilocybin. Um, I'm not trying to be the person who does it all. I think I focus on my gifts, which is really about isolating people's emotions and, and parts and bringing it up to the surface so they can see it. And that happened a lot when I was an escort. It was so it's interesting because when I was an escort, the focus is so much on the sexual healing. And yet I had all of these psychic events where I, I could tell by touching people so much about their life and about their internal um, um, journey and, and, and landscape. And, um, and some of those people found it a little disturbing. They're like, well, I didn't come here for that. I was like, mm. but yeah, you know, there's there's an untapped gift that I really want to to be able to mm. use too. So, kind of, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I'm imagining that you know, as a coach, people come to me for things that they want, and I know that what they need is different. So we have to kind of play a little bit of a marketing game, yeah, right. But yeah, I'm imagining that the difference in what people think they want when they go to an escort it might be very different from what your heart is called to provide. Well, yeah. And then some people get it. Uh, and I know people like to make fun of men, but there's a lot of sensitive, intelligent men out there, um, which is one of the gifts that came to me from being an escort. Cause I really hated men when I went into the business, I was allowed to take their money and I'm never going to work for their companies again. Cause I've been passed over for promotions and raises and sexually uh, harassed in the office. And I was just so over men. And um, mm. I had a girlfriend, but my male clients opened my heart. Mm. And I was like, wow, these are people. These are people and, and they've got deep emotions. And sometimes they would share things with me. They wouldn't share with anybody else. And, you know, they might walk in hardened and tough guy and they might walk out that way but while they were there for an hour or how many ever hours they spent with me they went to some some pretty deep places and oftentimes cried um i felt very privileged to help some men in kind of a muse mentor capacity where they got new jobs or promotions or raises and and it was really about helping them build their self-esteem but that was not the stated goal 
that these people had. It's just what I brought as somebody mm. who approached this from a sacred healing art. Mm. Yeah. Is there a gap now between what people think they want from you as a shame-free coach and healing and, and what you provide? Great question, Howie. Absolutely. Because some people think that I'm just a sexologist and I'm going to give them all these tips on um, various different sexual positions and, um, you know, polyamory and swinging and, and that kind of stuff. Like they, they see me as the lady who's um, going to free them so they don't have to feel guilty anymore. And, and it's not actually what I'm about. Shame and guilt are two different things. Guilt's actually a pretty handy human response because it helps us understand when we have violated our ethics and also the boundaries of other people. So if somebody wants to come in and get permission to lie and cheat on their partner, I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't help people do that. Um, if what you want to do is surface some of your desires and feelings and be transparent with your partner, maybe change the terms of the relationship so that there can be an open sexual um, understanding, well, then we can talk about that, but it's always going to have to be consensual. It's always going to have to be in the context if you can't force your partner to agree to things that don't fit for them. So um, I'm much more focused on the idea of freeing us from shame. So it's okay that you want certain things and feel certain things, but it's not always okay to act on them. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. So... <laughs> was, uh, that, you, was that too much, Howie? <laughs> no, no. I'm, try, I'm trying to think. Do you, do you feel like you've, um, you've brought us kind of up to speed on the transition to coaching? I think so. And that's, I mean, actually, we could just segue into what, what, what does IFS do about shame and guilt? Um, well, maybe could you start with just sort of the, the IFS 101? Sure. So, Thanks. you know, we've got parts. And I, I, I don't know. Do we have some way to share on the screen here because I don't. Oh, uh, no one's ever asked that before. Uh, yeah. Let's see. I share. I think at the bottom, do you see a little share with a like a rectangle with an up arrow in yeah. it? Yeah. That Shares. might work. And, the, and this would be a, this would be a good time to tell people that th this podcast has a YouTube channel. Uh huh. And I shaved today, so I'm. I'm I'm looking smart. <laughs> yes, you are. Well, it's a window. Okay. There we go. There we go. Here we go. All right. Can you see that? Uh, yes. Okay. So I'm going to explain it to those people who aren't watching us and are just listening. Beautiful. But basically, Beautiful. Um, uh, IFS Internal Family Systems has got um, self at the center. And some of us already have kind of a concept of that because we talk about our higher self. And, and, and we know we've all had that experience of being in self because we have, in that, we have access to these eight qualities, which I'll, I'll bring up a screen for that in a minute too. But they include things like clarity and compassion and calm. 
creativity, um, confidence. And, and you know, when you've been in that place, it feels so good, but then something takes you out of it. And oftentimes it's some kind of traumatic event. Now let's just for a minute, talk about trauma. Yes, there's trauma, trauma, like, okay, you were in a car wreck or somebody raped you or somebody robbed you, um, or you were, um, you know, abused as a child. And, and yet there's also traumatic events. So you can think about this like you startle a deer. On some level, you've totally engaged that deer's amygdala. It's going into fight, flight, or freeze. So maybe you startled it and it just stops dead in its tracks, or maybe you startled it and it took off running. You have that same brain. You've got that same amygdala that's going to do fight, flight, or freeze. And it could be something like a sonic boom, um, you know, or a weather event. So it may not in your mind qualify as, oh, that was trauma or I've been traumatized. But on some level, yeah, you have. And what it does is it, it'll push into previous events that maybe were more um, bigger traumas. So uh, car backfires and you have served time in the military and then you go into PTSD just because of uh, car backfiring. Those sort of things happen to all of us on some level where we smell something or hear something or feel something or see something that triggers something that happened in our childhood that was, in fact, traumatic. So it kicks us out of self. And so, and so, so the, yeah, so the, the idea that, I, that I'm, I think I'm understanding from, from this work is that it's basically the past superimposing itself on the present so that like whatever you're seeing or hearing or experiencing it, it's coming from a memory that's telling you what this all means, as opposed to being sort of purely in touch with what's happening right now. Does that sound? I would say that's very well that's... put. Yes. It's very well put. And, and what's <laughs> happening is that we've got these firefighters, managers, uh, for just a minute, let's ignore the exiles because they're kind of behind the managers and the firefighters. The thing to know about managers and firefighters is they're both protectors. So protectors okay. have your best interests at heart. They want to protect you. That's what they do. And a manager oftentimes is doing that from the perspective of kind of, you know, let's be logical about this and find a solution. Let's just handle this. And the firefighter is kind of like, this is not happening and I'm going to do anything I can to interrupt it. So if you think about if your house was on fire, the firefighters would break your windows, knock your door down and spray water all over the place and destroy your furniture. But at hmm. least they'd save the house. So your internal firefighters do something similar. They may create a lot of havoc. They might actually be incredibly destructive, but their attempt is to save you. Do you have any and, examples? Sure. Um, let's just pull some from my own life. Um, in the past, my firefighters would sometimes perpetrate violence because the last thing they wanted to do was for me to be in a situation where I was being um, violated violently. 
So they were trying to preempt that by being um, what they f- saw as defending me from potential violence by perpetrating it first. And um, so, you know, one of the reasons I work with people who have domestic violence is I am in recovery as both a survivor and a perpetrator. And I make no secret about that. I think it's really important for us if we're going to be coaches, coach what you have lived. Um, mm-hmm. So you can sh- model for people what it's like to leave those behaviors behind. Mm-hmm. Working with those firefighters, I have to let them know that I actually have self now. And with myself, I don't have to do these destructive behaviors that they created on my behalf to try to save me from a burning house. I know they have the best of intentions. I know why they're there. I love them. I appreciate them. But gradually over time, I can give them something else to do so they don't have to do those destructive behaviors. A manager Mm. can be a... So a lot lot of... Yeah. So a lot of people who are listening to this, you know, the the podcast started out as sort of a food based, plant based podcast. Um, And also a lot of folks who have had have sort of eating issues. That's pretty much a firefighter. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Okay, well, let's do it because I I have an eating disorder. I have anorexia. So um, when a traumatic event happens, for me, what'll happen, so something triggers a trauma. Um, maybe it's a fear of abandonment uh, because I, my father rejected me when I was 19 and disowned me. Um, maybe it's the fear of being confined and controlled because until my father rejected me and disowned me, that's what he did. So I don't one of those fears can throw me into my eating disorder. And my eating disorder is is kind of, you know, it's under the radar in a lot of ways. I don't even know it's happening until it's happened. And it, it's just a matter of, of waiting too long to eat and then not eating enough um, and running off of adrenaline. And the adrenaline is basically keeping me on high alert. And it, it also makes me happy. So instead of being mm. afraid... I feel excited and energized and all these wonderful feelings. And it takes a while when I tip over and crash because I didn't feed myself enough food. And I realize, oops, I did it again. And then I go back. Oh, yeah, there we go. So there's this firefighter that kicks in by saying we're just not going to eat. And it has a lot of different agendas. One is a sense of control. Other things on the outside that I can't control can trigger this response that, well, at least I can control not eating. And then mm. that makes my organism feel more powerful and, and calm because at least something's under control. The other thing is that if I'm not eating, I don't have as deep an experience of my emotions. So maybe I can't connect with the terror that just got triggered. Mm. And so it's, 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 it's intention is to help me continue to be functional so that I appear calm on the outside and together on the outside. And like I'm handling things just fine until I tip over into, um, the collapse around having 
drained yet again my adrenal glands. So obviously you could apply this to overeating as obviously I, I don't have that issue. I've got the anorexia thing. But for somebody who's overeating, if they can stuff the feelings, stuff the food, you know, it's a way of feeling comforted and soothed so that you don't have to experience these really horrible sensations, these emotions that are really painful. And that's oftentimes we are trying to avoid the painful feelings. And I, when we're children, these painful feelings can feel like they're going to kill us. And we don't have a lot of recourse as children. We don't have much control as children. So then our bodies become this locus of control. And um, finding those firefighters, you know, so like in my case, talking with a firefighter that doesn't want to eat, that thinks that that's in our interest, and updating its files is a really important IFS principle. How do we get to know this firefighter, its agenda, what it's doing, why it's doing it, appreciate it, love it, accept it, welcome it. Every time you find a firefighter that you hate, that's a part of you that hates it because self would only have compassion for this part. And that's a, this is a, a hard thing to learn because we've got some very powerful managers that want to get in and then control the firefighters. Uh -huh. so, so let's talk about them. So, well. yeah. so when you find a firefighter and you're like, ugh, you've actually found a manager as well. Yeah, yeah. So what are, what are managers? The manager is trying to keep the whole system in check and functioning well. It, I, I, I experience my managers as being very logical and kind of detached from the emotions and just charting out a course, you know, like, I actually was a manager in a former life. <laughs> that's seven years in corporate America. I was an office manager, department manager. So you're always trying to um, institute strategies for the better, you know, for the whole organism kind of thing. You've got the big picture. You're looking at the big picture um, and you're charting a path. You know, maybe you have a goal and the managers help you figure out how you're going to reach those goals. One of the things that's really important to keep in mind about all these parts, Howie, is they want what's best for us. So it's not like we're going to banish them or destroy them or get rid of them. We are going to ask them to let us drive the bus. This is another IFS saying, basically, just kind of imagine a school bus full of unruly kids. Those are your parts. And then you're driving the bus. But when a firefighter or a manager steps in and starts driving the bus, you're no longer driving it. So hmm. all that we want to do is we want to get to know these parts and then ask them if they would allow us to drive the bus and, you know, keep advising us, bring us the information that they have that they want us to, to be looking at. It's really like having a conversation with other people that just happen to be inside of you. Mm -hmm. So I was doing some coaching with someone and using the, you know, the coherence framework that I'm learning and yeah. sort of, and sort of together we stumbled upon parts. So I then brought in, you know, what I understood of IFS and, and, and invited some conversations 
And right. they went no they went nowhere for a long time because the person's parts didn't want to play. They they didn't yeah. want to talk. And as as a coach, you know, I've been trained to be very progress oriented. And so yeah. this was a different thing that needed to happen. And it it took us both a yes. while to to figure out you know, how to slow down to speed up. Can you you know, Howie, I have very powerful managers and there is a place for them in my coaching practice. Absolutely. But when I start to do a IFS exercise with my clients, I've got to ask those managers to step back because the IFS process only works if you bring self to it, which means that I've got to be curious and compassionate with their parts. If I'm not the parts can feel that. So the basic premise is that if I have an agenda, I am not in self. Now that's a pretty tall request. If you're a coach, of course you have agendas. You're trying to get the client to the place they asked to get to. You're trying to help them meet their goals. So I think in some ways, when you are actually doing the IFS exercises, because, you know, I'm not like just an IFS coach. I, I do a lot of other things, a lot of different modalities. I need to know when I'm stepping into IFS as a coach. And at that time, I've got to ask the manipulative, agenda-driven uh, managers inside me, to give me some space to step back so that I can just bring self to this client because the client wants the curiosity and the compassion. That's what opens that part up. That's what gets that part to start dialoguing. And it's only once that part is kind of unburdened itself that we can make progress. But if it, if it knows that you're bringing it one of your own managers, it's like, Hey, and I've, I've done this, too many times, Howie, manipulated on somebody else's part. You know, I think you'd be better off if you this. <laughs> like, hmm. And sometimes it has unfortunately worked, which has been positive reinforcement for this pattern in me. But I am really working on um, befriending those managers and asking them to give me a little bit of space hmm. so that we can, we can actually bring the lack of shame when we've got this agenda, there's a way in which we are shaming people. We're kind of saying, okay, well, I like you, but I won't really like you until you change this thing. Hmm. Yeah. I was talking, I had another conversation earlier today that I recorded uh, with Philip Shepard, who's an embodiment teacher. And yeah. the first thing I asked him was like, what's your definition of embodiment? And it's sort of, you know, being, being in direct contact with the present while being indifferent to outcome. Yeah. Thank you for saying that, because I was going to say in some ways IFS is asking us to go into a meditative space, mm -hmm. um, one that is of about non-attachment. Well right. said. Yeah. And, you know, it, sound, it sounds like just learning, going to workshops and learning how to do the work is not going to work unless you have done the work on yourself so that you can bring self and recognize when you're out of self 
and model getting back into self in front of clients. This is, I think, one of the, the most sacred aspects of IFS to me is that it is it's a, a, a pride leveling practice. So I, you know, I have a degree in psychology and almost all of the branches of psychology have kind of a hierarchical ego driven structure. And psychology was so desperate to prove itself as a quote unquote legitimate science way back in the day Mm -hmm. that they went to great lengths to try to set up those hierarchies between the doctor and the patient. So it's very hierarchical. Here comes Richard Schwartz 40 years ago with IFS and he just blows all of that away. And he's like saying, you know, I, I have, um, sometimes I overeat and I was bullied as a kid and I, you know, suffer from uh, insecurities and he's like putting his stuff out there and, and really working with those parts of himself. And it's very, um, humble, really humble. And I, you know, I've got the background in 12-step recovery. I guess I love the idea that we're all in this together, that we're all trying mm. to, um, to heal together. And when I'm working yeah. with clients, there's ways in which I'm healing myself through the process too. When I am working with IFS with my therapist, and I have two, one that I do with my partner and one I do solo, I am becoming a better coach with IFS principles because I'm learning and, you know, I can see when my own therapist um, drops the ball and, and it doesn't show up for me. And I learn from that and go, yeah, you know, I, I, I do that too. I want to make sure I, I learn how to do that differently. Mm-hmm. But sh- IFS actually invites IFS therapists to be more self-revealing, to share more things about themselves. That's absolutely unheard of in the field of psychology. Mm. It's beautiful. Well, I guess, you know, if, if you come from the perspective of each of us has this unsullied capital S self, yeah. then there's, there's nothing to be proud of or ashamed of. Yeah. I tell my clients, I said, you already have the answers. I don't. I'm just here to help calm your parts down so that your beautiful, eternal, ancient self can speak and help hmm. drive that bus. Yeah. So in, in, so many, in many ways, I know, I know it's, a, it's a comprehensive theory, and I've read the book No Bad Parts, and I know there's a lot of complexity to it. But at some level, it is, it's not a theory. At, it's, it's completely atheoretical when you are in front of someone. Like you're not bringing... The, you're not imposing the theory on their construction of reality and of themselves. You're, you're allowing it to unfold and simply, yeah. you know, holding it for them. Yeah. You know, what's great. I, I, so many people have different relationships of, of their parts. Um, some people draw their parts and, and it's exciting. You get to see these beautiful pictures and these interesting visual images of their various different parts. Some people um, name their parts and hmm. they'll describe what they look like to me. Some people have kind of amorphous parts, like it's just an energy here and an energy there and a bright light there and a dark mass over here. Um, 
it's different for different people and it's also different for different parts. I think it's fun and exciting to find out just how complex each and every one of us is internally. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that sense of wonder and adventure and curiosity is really that self is inviting mm-hmm. us to really, um, I think, embrace all of ourselves. And that's another reason I love IFS because it really is an invitation to love every part of us. Now, Richard Swartz actually started off uh, working with inmates who had done some horrific crimes. So that's a bit of a stretch for a lot of us to think that we would be able to talk to the parts that have committed horrific crimes and find compassion for them. But I I like what one of the ways that he framed this about... um, somebody who had been caught in perpetrations and he said he's traumatized and he's definitely, that's a part that's trying to protect him and he has to be stopped. So it's, it's not that we don't have um, repercussions for bad behavior. We need that. We absolutely need that. But we also need a healing modality that's going to help everyone get well so we can be a safer, saner society. And demonizing people um, actually creates more perpetrations, as does shame. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 kind of an uncomfortable place to be. I'm finding to to see not justification exactly, but like reasons why for everything for everybody. Like it was easy. It was easier when I could just you know fucking hate people. Yeah. But yeah. you know what I mean? That there's well, there's a way I, I in which know. okay, so if there's if there's coherence, it's like, oh, you know, let's let's say, you know, certain ex presidents, like you can think about like, whoa, their childhood. And you know, yes. there's one in particular, but there's 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 many ex presidents who are clearly, you know, have abused their power yes. in, in various ways. And it's like, well, they have this yeah. incredible gift and you can see you know, when you, you learn the biography, like it's every, everyone is understandable. And what, you know, it's not yeah. for me to forgive something that wasn't done to me, but it's almost like I, you know, I can't, I can't judge. It's hard to judge people anymore. Yes, I know. I hate that. How I, I love judging. But I'll tell you, as long as I am capable and give myself permission of judging other people, it unfortunately pushes back on me, too. And then I have parts of me that I reject and judge and and literally hate. And, you know, I'm working with that because I, I know that it's absolutely a fact that the more I judge and hate, the more that thing is going to persist. And if I can cultivate some compassion and curiosity about the parts that I currently hate, they are going to get to speak to me about their burdens. And in the process, they won't have to continue to do the things that I don't want them to do. Mm-hmm. So I apply that out into the world as well. What's true 
at the same time is that some people are not going to get into IFS therapy. They're not going to work with their parts. And so that part is going to have the power to destroy an entire nation or start a war. And, you know, you can have the compassion for the damage that has created that individual, but they still have to be stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But, but you know, but it's a, it's a different energy, right? If people are yeah. going to be stopped because I'm doing my job, like I'm, you yeah. know, basically like a traffic cop, like I'm, no, yeah. you don't go. Right? right. As opposed to the kind of, you know, the bloodlust. Mm. Yes. Right. Oh. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Just the, the hate on my Twitter feed, which I have too many times hit the old heart on. Oh, I like that. That was really a good burn. Um, <laughs> and you know what I, what I see in that, when I look at myself, the part of me that loves hateful messages um, and memes, is that I feel powerless. And that powerlessness goes back to maybe somebody in the public eye is perpetrating in a way that uh, is reminiscent of how I was perpetrated against as a child. Um, and so this desire for revenge uh, and retribution and justice and judgment and all those things come into play. And the next thing you know, you, you got a social media feed, don't you? <laughs> right. And which, which appears to be, you know, an AI algorithm designed to ampl amplify and, and, and provide, um, you know, compound feedback for the worst yeah. of us. Yeah. And, but I want to reframe that that is the hurting part of us, the hurting part of us. So even in that, I don't want to judge the part of me that likes those hateful memes. I want to get to know it and see if there's some way that I can calm it down so that I can start doing other things uh, that might be a, contributing to a more just world in a different way mm -hmm. other than making fun of somebody. Right. Although well, yeah. I mean, I also see and feel the urge to like, you know, slap a slap a rainbow on, and just, you know, like I think they call, you know, spiritual bypassing where I don't, you know, I don't want to get in touch with the part that loves to hit like and share nasty stuff. Right? Like <laughs> okay. I, would, I would, I would rather just, you know, slap on a smiley face and pretend to be enlightened. So that's a polarized part. Let's talk about polarized parts for a minute. Most of us have some polarized parts and, you can think of it like this. Let's go to back to food. Okay. So I'm going to stop eating animal products. Um, and then there's another part that's like, well, but what will grandma think when I go to her house for Thanksgiving? Um, and what about um, that favorite hamburger joint that I go to? Or, you know, that, that part's kind of running interference, thinking about all these other things. And that part has a really good point because what it's trying to do is remind you of the social connections that you have and how important those are to you. 
And then the other part's kind of like, I don't care. My health is what matters to me. My ethical relationship with this planet is what matters to me. And I'm just not at all suggesting that vegan is the way to go here. I'm just taking it as an example that might apply for some people's food choices. It's that place that so many of us live in around life in general, where we've got a part that's trying to bring to our attention, this really matters. And then we've got another part that's like, no, this really matters. And so you flip-flop back and forth, back and forth between these two agendas. And it makes you feel crazy. Like I can't make up my mind or I can't stick to my resolutions or, you know, it's so confusing because I want to do this and then I want to do that. And that's a big complaint that I get. I'm sure you do too in your coaching practice is people coming in. I can't figure out whether I should do this or do that. That's almost mm. always polarized parts and they are working against each other and not on your behalf. So first thing you want to do is go in and meet each one of them. So the part that you were talking about there, that's spiritual bypassing to me is I have that part too. And uh, she's, she wants very much for me not to be a bitter person. She wants me to be kind. She wants me to be loving. She wants me to be cheerful. She wants me to look on the positive side. I think those are all really great agendas. The problem is when she's driving the bus, when she's in charge, then the other voice in me that also has great advice doesn't get to talk. And it gets frustrated. And pretty soon it yanks the steering wheel away from her and it starts driving the bus. And now I'm flip-flopping back and forth. The other side of me would say, this is, you're an activist. You have to stop these things. You can't stand by idly and just let this stuff happen. It's not okay. Oming your way through this is not going to change the world for better. Okay. I also think that part has a great point. So now what can I do? How can I resource myself so that both parts get to advise myself? And I just have to be able to talk to them. Sometimes what I'll say is, you have a great point. Thank you. Thank you for that reminder. And I am in self, and I think I'm not the little girl you think I am. How old do you think mm. I am anyway? And sometimes that part will say, well, you're 15, and look what you did. <laughs> huh. And I'll go, actually, no, I'm an adult woman now. And I've got, I've had years of therapy and recovery. I think, I think I might be able to handle this better than you think I could. Mm. What do you think? Could give me a little bit of space just to try it out. And then that part will relax a little bit and like, okay, let's see what you got. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you know, Richard Schwartz talks about self-leadership. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's a, it's a fun buzzword that you could throw around in, in corporate settings, but he reads something very specific about the self acting like a confident leader, like the alpha of a dog pack where everybody else knows, okay, this is cool, right? Humans don't really, I remember, you know, watching a lot of uh, Cesar Milan a while back and he was oh, like, yeah. no, you know, no, no, you know, dog, dogs would never follow an unstable leader humans do all the time but like dogs only follow the 
you know, the calm, confident one. And so it's kind of asking you, like, you know, can you can you find the self, identify with it, and then start practicing leading the other parts so that yes. they, they, they say, okay, so I have a role here, but it's not to be in charge. That's not, that's not an appropriate role for me. Yes. And I think maybe this would be a good time for me to share the, um, I'm going to share this. Um, what the, where the heck did it go? Okay. Not the screen, a window. Here we go. I want to share those eight C's of self-leadership since you brought, brought that up. I think it's just a really great time to talk about this. So the eight C's okay. of IFS yeah. self has these eight characteristics. And if you are in that, if that's what you're feeling, then you know that self. It actually took me a long time. I had to be in IFS therapy for about a year before I discovered myself. It was so buried under protectors and managers, firefighters, I couldn't get to it. And eventually I located it. And then I was like, oh, that's self. It feels really good to be in self. It's, it's calm. And it has clarity. And it has curiosity and compassion. It has confidence. It has courage. It's creative. And it loves connection. So I kind of have to scroll through that, but um, let me know if you need me to scroll back up for it. I just want to make sure everybody gets to see those eight, those eight C's, because I just think they're so beautiful, and it's, it's a beautiful place to inhabit. It is not a pious um, spiritual bypass place where everything's great. Having compassion mm-hmm. does not mean that you co-sign bad behavior. And there's clarity is, is going to preclude you going into denial and pretending that something isn't happening. But being calm about whatever's happening is really key. This is a place then where our higher wisdom gets to kick in and we got to have like these intuitive knowings about the next right action for us. Mm. Um, yeah. So... I'm gonna stop the yeah, share I just, here. I just wrote. I just wrote down those three words. And, uh, next, next right action. That's yeah. that's kind of the secret of life, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because we're yeah. it's like moment by could, moment. If you just if you can just do that, then you've you've done everything. Yeah, and I to me, um, I definitely love my parts. So the part that wants me to be positive and happy. I love that part. I need that part. And the part that wants Mm. me to be an angry activist with righteous rage. I love that part too. Finding Mm. my balance with all the parts is really key. Now, Howie, one thing we haven't talked about is those exiles. So exiles are like your inner children who are a lot of times kind of stuck in deep freeze. They're hiding. They're not real accessible to you. And they usually have a manager and or a firefighter that's standing in front of them so that you can't get to them. Being able to contact Mm. those exiles 
connects you to your original pain points, usually something that happened in your childhood that was very traumatic at the time. We all have trauma. Um, some of it is also called a legacy burden. A legacy burden is handed down from another generation. Maybe somebody in your family suffered um, um, in the Holocaust. Uh, maybe somebody in your family went to prison. Maybe somebody in your family was raped. And science is proven through epigenetics that travels through our DNA um, out seven generations. So good luck finding a family tree that doesn't have trauma in it seven generations back. You're going to find trauma. Yeah. So that's in you. And then there's the training that comes with the family of origin too. These ways of coping with um, the trauma, denying it um, or acting it out, carrying it forward. In my family, the uh, huge trauma was uh, pedophilia. And that was carried forward from generation to generation. Um, in some families, it's alcoholism or drug addiction um, or, you know, financial insecurity. Those sort of things get carried forward a lot of times. And so then those are legacy burdens you want to work with. But if once you are able to calm down your managers and your firefighters, you get access to the exiles. And you really just want to go back and reclaim them and love them because they're little kids and they really need to have you as the parent who's there for them now. And all of this is just about integrating us so that we aren't all off in different directions, not understanding ourselves and doing behaviors that we go, why did I do that? Why do I feel that way? It's like you're now you're in touch with, your actions and your feelings in a way that makes sense. And meeting your exiles is um, a real exercise of compassion. I, I find usually when I'm meeting an exile, that's kind of the number one ask is, can I be compassionate and really allow them to tell me about their pain? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've looked at, you know, some qualities that I had as a child that I can still feel get triggered and I feel nothing yeah. but, you know, ugh, like, Oh, that's yeah. so gross. That's so yeah. needy. That's so yeah. whiny and annoying. You know, that the, the challenge of, okay, well there's this, that, then that's not the self, right? There's no, that's, that would be there's some manager. Of... There's some manager that's like, yeah, go ahead. Manager, it's it's a protector. I don't know if it's a firefighter or a manager, but it's definitely a protector, and it's it has a a really valuable thing that it brought in. Probably as you got older, it it was kind of like saying, you know, um, get yourself together, and it, it was trying to protect you from being bullied um, or some yep. other kind of loss. So then you have to you have to talk to that protector yeah. first and ask it if it, it could trust you yourself to talk with the exile that it thinks is all whiny and 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 trust that we're not mm -hmm. going to become all whiny. The whole point here is that we're just bringing compassion and love to all the parts. Right. 
So for someone who's listening to this, who's, who's interested, so obviously one step is to find a coach or a therapist who's familiar with IFS. Um, yeah. For folks for whom that's out of reach right now, how, yeah. how would you suggest people begin to integrate this, this wisdom in helpful ways? I think, I think it's incredibly valuable to watch the man who invented this, Richard Schwartz, work it uh, in videos. And there are okay. videos on the IFS website, but I'll tell you, I'm, I'm working my way through a two-hour interview with Richard Schwartz that Rich Roll did on his podcast. Okay. And I'm loving it. I'm just loving it. It's, it's one of the best that I've seen of, of Richard Schwartz. And, um, All right, well, I'll, th- I'll throw that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Rich Roll's podcast. Rich, Rich has introduced me a lot of good stuff over the years. So. Yeah, he's, he's great. He's great. And, of course, the books. Like you mentioned, No Bad Parts, that's a great place to start. <clears throat> There's some IFS workbooks that you can purchase online as well. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so if there's, you if could, there's one or two that you, that you like that you'd recommend, you maybe you could send it to me later and I'll throw those in the show notes as well. I, I will. Yeah. Great. Great. And if, if people are drawn to working with you, are you taking clients? Do you work I am. globally or just in person? Globally. I'm taking them right. globally. So, so how, and how, I'm, how, how can, how can we, we get in touch with you? Uh, best way is Veronica at the shamefreezone.com. Okay. So sh- the, the shame free zone, there's a the in front of it? Or without, either one will come through. I have, I own both Ooh, domains. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll put all that in the show notes and yeah, yeah. I hope, I hope this, uh, you know, I hope this helps people as much as it helped me to, to to begin with just simply have perspective on my own behaviors and say like, okay, this yeah. isn't, just, like it may, it might be a trick, it might be a a game or a construct, but so helpful to be able to be the observer rather than to be the hot mess. <laughs> yes, you know what I like about it, probably more than anything, is this deepening compassion for myself. And connection. So compassion and connection are two of those eight characteristics of self. And I just like finding out that being connected to myself is actually not as scary as I thought it would be. That I actually can love myself and even go so far as to like myself um, so that it feels different in here. It feels integrated. It feels whole. Hmm. And then the way I move through challenges, the way I move through um, life and my connections with others just feels so much more embodied and present. Hmm. Yeah. So I, 
Mm. It's 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 a real gift, and and I am still learning how I. There's so much to learn. This so much to to keep trying to refine. So right now, the big assignment is I'm working with two polarized parts. <laughs> I have many polarized okay. parts. Right now, I'm working with two very specific. And I've got a manager who wants to get in there and logically figure it all out and set everybody straight. And I'm uh, gonna have to work with that manager too. Hmm. All right. Sounds sounds like um, maybe, maybe not fun necessarily, but rich. <laughs> rich, rewarding, rich and rewarding. Yeah. yeah. Well, Veronica Monet, thank you for being so generous with your time, for agreeing to come back for the second conversation, and yeah. for for all the all the work you're doing to promote healing and um, banish shame from the world. Thank you, Howie, for your expansive, open mind. One of the things that I love about talking with you is I feel you accepting and loving all the parts of me, and there are a lot of different parts to me and to my story. And I don't, I don't feel any hesitation mm-hmm. to be able to knit those together in a cohesive whole and see me as a whole human being, and that is incredibly rare. Hmm. Oh, good. I guess uh, my my hope for myself is after uh, extending it to you, I can begin to give that to myself. (laughs) (laughs) I have to feel that way when I'm working with my clients. I I get these downloads from my higher self and my higher power and I'm going, that's a great idea. I should try that. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, th- okay. thank you again. I hope we will uh, we will stay in touch and continue these these conversations. And yeah. I will look look forward to that. I look forward to it too. Thank you, Howie. Appreciate you. And that's a wrap. You can find the show notes for today's episode at plantyourself.com/five-six-four. So today I'm recording this on August 23rd, Wednesday. It is Fiesta Mayor here in the town where I'm living. Um, We've had booms and and marching bands and uh, people walking down the street playing sort of bagpipey instruments and other people with drums. And it's just getting louder and louder and more crowded. So I'm going to try to sneak this recording in before it becomes (laughs) too much of a tumult to be able to have any kind of audio quality. I'm looking forward to it. It's supposed to start tonight with with fireworks and a procession of of an icon of St. Bartholomew from from the church around town. People are boarding up all of the glass windows and storefronts. And hilariously, a lot of them, uh, especially the older, more uh, iconic buildings, are, are covering them with like these um, vinyl drop cloths that are photographs of what's underneath them. So you kind of look, you have to look twice and realize you're not looking at the doorway with the sign next to it or the window with the shutters, but you're looking at a, uh, a photograph of it that's covering it to keep it from getting damaged because apparently over the next two days, they're going to have these, these giant uh, firecrackers coming out of giant dragons. Oh, you can start to hear some, some of the merriment going on. Um, and we're expecting a couple hundred thousand people to descend on this small town over the next two days. So <laughs> if 
you're listening to this uh, and you're sort of quietly out in nature enjoying your, the self and the peace and quiet, <laughs> send some of it my way because I'm sure it's going to be amazing. It's also going to be a little bit overwhelming. Um, so movement news, I kind of blew my knee out a little bit. I don't know whether it was a combination or just overdoing it, but um, clay court tennis with shoes that aren't that grippy, uh, I think might have been the final straw. So I'm just resting it. I've done about two hours of Qigong, very gentle stuff, and just walking around slowly and being very mindful going upstairs so that I uh, turn my my right leg out so as not to bother the knee too much. And that's about it. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll report next week on how the next couple of days goes. And I wish you all the best. Be well, my friends.